You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am happy to be joined today by Gabri Agello, Kimberly Parham, and George Snyder. How are you guys doing? Great. Good to see you. Good to see everybody. everybody. You guys have all been on the show before. And I'm bringing you on because I want to do this special show, this special panel, because we have a lot of new people that watch the show. They're new to sobriety and they have questions and they, and they want answers from people who are doing the thing that are doing it right. And all three of you are and all experts in, in different ways. So I wanted to do a show all about the do's and don'ts of early sobriety. Um, if you guys want, I was just thinking about just putting that out there, maybe starting with the don'ts of early sobriety. And let me set this up a little bit. You know, we all know early sobriety is incredibly important because it kind of sets the tone. It also, you start getting habits. Things start to happen in early sobriety that set you up for a great recovery or possibly even set you up for a fail. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of touch on those from all of your perspective and Gabri, if you want to start it off, you know, early sobriety, what's your thoughts on it? And what's some of the things that you think that people should stay away from? Yeah, I think one of the main things is honestly your mindset. I know for me, that's something I really struggled with. Um, I think you should kind of steer clear of putting so much emphasis on what you're getting rid of with sobriety. You know, you're stopping drinking, you're stopping this aspect of your life. Instead, try to look at it as what I'm, what am I going to do to replace that? Um, so when I started focusing on the positives and, and figuring out what I could do to replace, you know, that need to drink, um, my sobriety, you know, my, uh, sobriety experience kind of like went up from there. So definitely focusing on, you know, the positives. Yeah. I think that that's so important. It's like, you know, when you first come into sobriety, when you say that sometimes things are just kind of a wreck, right? Yeah. Things are just, yep. Absolutely crazy. So there's a lot to be negative about, honestly, in early sobriety. One, yeah. you, you've just realized that you're in recovery and that maybe not have been your plan uh, when you were five years old. You didn't say, hey, mom, I, I, I you know, I want to be an alcoholic. So so I think, you know, it kind of sets you up for that negative thinking. H how did you how did you deal with that in very early sobriety? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really easy to kind of just, you know, minimize that and push it to the side. Um, being 22, I, you know, I grieved, you know, my future drinking self. It's like, I've only been legally drinking for a year and I already have to give it up. Um, and so I think if I kind of just pushed that to the side and just soldiered on, I wouldn't have really gotten to the root of that problem. So I did allow myself to, you know, grieve that part of me um, so that I could get over that and celebrate, you know, sorry, that's my dog, <laughs> celebrate my future sober self. So I definitely think it's important to sit in that feeling so that it'll pass. Um, and so for you to, you know, celebrate your future self. Yeah, I, t I totally agree with that. Um, you know, Kimberly, you are, you, you're somebody who's all about wellness and, and all about fitness and, and, and really living your best recovered life. What tips would you have for people in early sobriety about what not to do in early sobriety? I think my biggest tip for, because I, I work in a wellness community and I'm a very social person. I feel like even if you're not a very social person, my biggest not is don't isolate. Don't try to go through it by yourself. 
Um, it's a huge decision and it affects not only you, but it affects everybody around you. It affects your family. It affects your friendships, your social life. And so if you make this decision to quit this essentially part of you that people knew you for socialized with you during, and then you just decide, okay, I'm not, that's not me anymore. I'm not going to do that. And then you try to go through it by yourself. It is going to be I don't want to say it's going to be impossible, but it's going to feel pretty stinking impossible. You need community. And if the people that you're surrounded with are not a positive influence on the decision that you're making, then you need to lean into a community that will be, whether that's going to in-person meetings or having like a virtual coach and a community that you can discuss your struggles and your victories with online, um, like, like recovered life or, just, I, I would just say, reach, reach out, whether you're going to your church and you're talking to people, you know, in your spiritual um, journey, but it's, it's not something that you should do alone because it's a really big decision and it's a physical decision. It's a mental decision. It affects every aspect of your life and it affects, it affects all of your relationships too. Yeah. You know, you know, Kimberly, all of us have seen after we've been in recovery for a while, we've seen people that just they come in and then they connect with the community. And then all of a sudden they start a process of deconnection, right? They start to isolate. What are some of the tips? And, and, you know, when you talk with them, you say, Hey, look, you seem kind of isolated or you seem kind of withdrawn. They're usually the first people to be shocked by that. Like, really? Like they don't even really know that they're setting themselves up to kind of disconnect. How do you know, how does somebody in early sobriety know that they're starting to disconnect? Um, I think like Gabri said, when you are, you have to allow yourself to feel and, and sort of more in the loss of who you were. And I think when you're not doing that and you are trying to brush it aside and just be like, that was me, then this is me. Now there's no in between. And you try to make a very smooth transition. That's when you're going to start kind of isolating because it doesn't make sense to you how you're getting over here from over here and you lose yourself in it. And so I can see that being a very fuzzy line where you don't realize that it's happening. And I think that's why it's so important to get surrounded by people who can bring it to your attention and say, Hey, like, you know, you're, you're stepping back a little bit, or I've noticed that you're not participating or like, do you need a meeting locally or whatever? So that there are people who are holding you accountable, not only to your, to your sobriety, but like living your best life and, and not isolating because that's the easiest way to slip backwards. Absolutely. Correct. Absolutely. And if you find yourself isolating, you know, my trick has always been just reconnect. It's just as simple as just reconnecting, picking up the phone, saying hi, maybe staying a little bit longer at that meeting having conversations with people asking how they are. You know, George, you are a life and recovery strategist and you you work with a lot of people who are in early recovery that are struggling, right? Mm-hmm. What's some of the things that you see, you know, as a professional that people do um, that set themselves up for failure? What's a big don't? And, and dovetailing, it's first of all, so good to see all of you here and to hear the things I was thinking about I, it, dovetailing with that. It's don't keep secrets. You know, I've worked with people who are like, I don't want anyone to know I'm doing this, but I'm not going to drink anymore. Or I'm, you know, I'm going to do, or I'm going to do. And they want to keep, they don't want to, they don't want people to know. 
And I'm not saying we shot it from the rooftops. <laughs> you know, uh, you go out with friends and the waitress says, uh, drinks. No, I don't know. No, no drinks. <laughs> but they don't have a liquor license at this place. You know, it's not about that. But it is about letting somebody know who's on your team, letting somebody know that you are what you're doing. And I think that goes along with having an ally, having a, having a group, but also not trying to do it on your own. And it's so mm, uh, typical of a lot of people I work with that, you know, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I got this. I got this. And I don't want anyone to know. Yeah. You know, I think that's a common thing with people with addiction is they feel that they've got it right. And even if they don't feel that they have it, they want to do it by themselves. They want to figure it out by themselves. They're not so interested in having a group of people help them. You know, I don't know why that is, but I think if we were to put a, a, a check mark next to everyone coming in, if that was a box, I would say probably 80 to 90% of the people that I have met in, that are, are recovered you know, suffer from that. It's, it's a struggle. How, how do you get over that, George? I mean, if, if you're not that type of person, if, if somebody's listening to this and saying, look, I'm not the kind of person that's going to sit and build a community, what do you do? And that's one of the big do's. That's one of the hardest ones. And I think we've already touched on it. You got to reach out. You got to have a friend, got to have an ally, a coach, this is what in AA 12-step programs, they have sponsors, um, a posse, uh, a sober companion, whatever it takes. And usually we talk about the Eskimo, that guy who helped you in from the cold. I, there's usually somebody in whatever kind of recovery you're in, somebody has reached out to you and said, I think you, if you have a problem or if you'd like to go to a meeting, latch on to that person. Latch on to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Just having one or two people. I know when I first came into recovery, having one or two people that I could relate to that I could trust. Right. And they were, they were instrumental at introducing me to other people that I would know, like, and trust. Right. And I, you know, having that Eskimo or that person that can do that is great. And, And I'd love all of you guys just to jump in here as a collaborative thing. I mean, Gabri and I were talking about a future episode that I'm doing about clubhouse and about how mm. all of these people have never been to a 12-step meeting. Um, Gabri somebody who has never been to an in-person meeting, right? And, yep. and for bizarre. <laughs> so like, George, what would you say to somebody like Gabri? Like if, you know, how do you do that virtually? Community is there. There's community there. It really is, as you found. And I think what a remarkable experience to be able to do this this way. But, but it's happening. It's happening. And it's finding that, you know, my mother used to say, you you need someone to care for, something to do and something to look forward to. And I think that really applies. You know, you need someone in your life who's got, and I, like I said, you don't have to blast it from the, tell everyone you meet. And that is a temptation too, you know, to go to tell everyone, but it's somebody, somebody that can share your journey with you. And then having a schedule checking in with somebody and then having a, uh, having a goal. Well, what you're really talking about here is balance, not too much, not too little, right? Right. Which all we know is that people that are in that suffer from addiction suffer from an imbalance, right? We're we're not necessarily balanced people when we first come in. Kimberly, how did you deal with that? Like when, when you first came in, how did you find that balance? Um, it didn't happen at first. (laughs) It wasn't, it was not easy. 
Um, and I, my addiction was very, um, quiet. I was very functioning and, um, the only person that really knew I was struggling was my husband. Um, I was very present on social media the whole time. I was successfully working my business the entire time. And I was that, that night drinker, um, like all night long. (laughs) So I had a hard time connecting with anybody about it because nobody in my realm of influence or my circle or really even my family knew that I had a problem. Um, and I had been drinking since I was 15. So I, I, uh, found that the best way for me, and this is probably because I have a social media presence, I do work on social media. The best way for me to be able to become accountable was to talk. I write, I'm a writer. So I started writing about it and sharing my journey on social media because I knew that would bring other people into my circle that were struggling or quietly struggling and didn't know. And we could all hold each other accountable. And so we have like a message thread and I have women coming to me on Instagram all the time. Like, how do I do this? Can I check in with you? What apps do you use? And so I'm able, because I spoke up and I started sharing my journey more publicly, which isn't everybody's cup of tea. I get that. Um, but for anybody that is on social media or, or loves sharing, um, their story or writing, I feel like journaling, even just kind of keeping track of your days. I feel like everybody should journal, but that's my own personal (laughs) opinion. Um, being able to have a way that you're putting yourself out there, even if it's just going to like your best friend or your spouse or your mom or whoever, somebody that you trust very much, that's going to love you no matter what and say, I need, I need, I need a babysitter sort of right now. Like I need somebody to be able to check in on my emotions and notice when I'm kind of going off, off the rails and when I'm stressed and just be like, you know, be there for me. Cause I, I needed somebody physically next to me to make sure that I wasn't going to pick up a bottle when I was going through X, Y, Z. Yeah. You know, I, you touch on something that's interesting. I'd love your opinion on this Gabri, because one of the hard things I think in early sobriety is changing your mind, changing your opinion that you are addicted, right? Changing your opinion that you need help, Mm -hmm. um, changing your opinion on who should help you at a moment's notice, literally you can snap your fingers, change your mind. And, and that that's part of alcoholism, right? Is, is, is a delusion that somehow it's not happening. How do you do that? Especially people, Gabri, that are getting sober virtually, and maybe they don't, they're a little isolated. They don't have that one-on-one check-in face-to-face with somebody. How did you do that? When, when you woke up one day and thought, you know, this is kind of a struggle. I don't know if maybe I'm just not even an alcoholic. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it kind of has to do with how we as society and a lot of us, how we are raised and parented, um, how we view people with addiction. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was, you know, opening up to some people that I was struggling, it's like, oh, you weren't raised that way. So I already had this preconceived notion. No, like, you know, I was raised a certain way. This can't be me. Um, and when I really kind of got over that, um, which is way easier said than done, of course. Um, and, you know, opened my mind to the possibility, maybe, you know, this is an issue. Um, I think from there, it was much easier to be able to communicate, um, and get that, you know, support system because I, there was no fear. There was no more stigma within myself. There may have been stigma within the greater society. Um, but I think 
people with, you know, that struggle with addiction, the stigma that really affects them the most is the stigma they have against themselves. It's that internal thing. Um, and so once I was able to, you know, kind of work through that, um, a lot of, you know, doors open for me within sobriety. You know, I think that's so important. And that's something that my generation is learning from your generation. You know, I know when George and I first, you know, talked about doing the show, when I first called him and I said, Hey, I'm going to do this thing called recovered life. We're going to build this community. And we're going to, we're going to talk about how people could live their best recovered lives. I, you know, even after being sober decades, I, I was a little concerned. I actually met with my family met with some of the people who were my clients and said, Hey, you know, you know, that I've been in recovery for a while and, you know, and I, I'm just, is this going to hurt you in any way? Is this going to make me look bad anyway? Right. I was, I was very hung up and I, I, it's so freeing when I, when I hear that from you guys that, you know, you're so open and out there that there isn't the stigma. When, when I got sober, I, I, I would like to think there wasn't that stigma, but, but there was kind of, and I mean, George, maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I know we're kind of from the same, we, we have around the same amount of time and it wasn't so much like that then was it? It, it was a big no, no to tell anyone publicly that you suffered from addiction. Also, I mean, so much of it was about, thank you. Uh, so much of it was about keeping it a, keeping it a secret. Yeah. You know, it's the three, it was the three martini lunch in the business world, but you, you went back to work. I, you, you didn't function. You didn't function very well in the afternoon, but nobody said anything. You know, it was a kind of, this is, that person has a problem, but it was always couched in different terms. There's trouble at home or, um, because there was a shame and a stigma attached to it. But also you, because of the disease, you can begin to buy your own story and you can begin to think, well, I'm okay. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And And if you're lucky, you've got companions that you picked because they were even worse than you. So that helped. And then you have, of course, the people who would say, I didn't think you had a problem with that. Or "I I didn't notice that you were whatever the case may be, I thought you had a happy marriage or, you know, I mean, whatever the, whatever the issue is, because I think recovery, just to, as an aside, there's a lot of ways in which we can be in recovery and, and getting a, a fuller, richer life, uh, drugs and alcohol. Absolutely. But there's other stuff going on that we have to look at too. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's about, for me, it really was about those couple people who said, listen, I think you may have a problem and, and, and holding on to them and, and being allowing yourself to, to be open and trusting of somebody who's going to be able to help you. Kimberly, I saw you kind of, you, you kind of smiled when George said that, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I, I would say 99% of the people who found out when I started discussing that I had an addiction issue what they were like, what? No, not you. And, um, I was separated from my husband at the time and we are happily back together and have restored our marriage, which is amazing. But, um, they had no idea there was trouble in paradise. They had no idea that I had had anything other than like a glass of wine at dinner. Um, and I, like George said, I was buying my story, like I'm, I'm painting a really good picture. So as long as 
it looks good on the outside, then that's the story I'm going to live. And that's the story I'm going to believe. And I was in so much denial that I had a problem and I'm actually the one, like nobody came to me and said, sister, you need to get this on lock. Like you've got a problem. It was me who I like woke up with the hangover from, you know, where on November 2nd, 2018. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't remember last night. I am a mother of two children. They were in the care of somebody else at the time. But like, had I gotten a phone call that one of them was in the hospital or something, I would have not had the wherewithal to go take care of my children. And I am a mom all the time, not just when I feel like it. So that was my wake up call. And and when I started realizing it and realizing that I needed help and that I need to talk about it. Like my whole social circle was shocked and I didn't know how to be myself anymore. And I had to go through a whole like entire life change and like change my social circle, change what I did for hobbies and everything because my life was a lie my whole life. Do you think that's a big do for people? Kimberly and, and, and Gabri and George, I'd love you guys. We could just talk openly about this. Just chime in. If you have a thought, you know, there's so many you hear about in 12 step groups. Don't pull a demographic, you know, don't walk away from people that are around you. You know, I, I found for me, um, I literally had to kind of just hit reboot. I, I had to, you know, from my job to the people I hung around to everything, even members of my family, I, I, I had to just stay away from, uh, because it was just, it was just too much. It was that hard Mm -hmm. for me to do this. Right. What do you, what do you say to people? Is that a do or a don't to, to pull a geographic, right. Or to do, do a hard reboot. I think it's personal. Like it's very personalized. It's unique to every situation. I would say everybody that I had to step away from 90% of them are back in my life now because I'm good with me and I trust myself around them, but it wasn't about them being who they were. It was about me knowing that even when I hang out with them, I can trust myself. I don't have to do what they're doing to feel like I have to fit in or whatever. Um, and yes, even at 35 years old, I struggled with fitting in and feeling like I needed to drink to be fun and all that stuff. And now I just know I'm like way too much fun and drinking took it to like obnoxious. I'm just like regular fun. So <laughs> what about yeah. you, Gabri? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, definitely agree. It's a personal choice for me. It was really, I'm kind of like still in that phase of trying to like figure out like, who am I? Because I fully centered my entire like adult identity um, from 18 to 22. Like my identity is, you know, this partier, this drinker. And, and so now I'm kind of like, okay, now that, you know, I don't have the burden of having to, you know, do that anymore. Like, who am I? Um, so I'm definitely, you know, for me, I moved to a new city. Um, I still, it's very hard for me to go back to like my hometown. I feel like the trauma that's there. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a year sober. So, you know, I have some time to work through things. Um, but I definitely think it's a, a personal thing. And if those physical boundaries are what you need, then I say, go for it. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is a do for everyone that's in early sobriety is I think you have to have i I'm going to stay sober at any cost. 
at any cost, no matter what, I'm staying sober. Whether I like 12 step, don't like 12 step, whether I like my therapist, don't like my therapist, whether people are happy about me staying sober, not happy about me, no matter what I feel about it, at any cost, I'm going to stay sober, right? And I, I think that's a big do. And I think that most of failure with early sobriety are people who lose sight of that. They lose track. I mean, wouldn't you say that, George? Is that when you yeah. when you work with somebody that's in early sobriety and you see it go off the rails, they tend to compromise their safety and sobriety for some sort of outside issue. Yeah, I think, and I think a big piece of it is at any price could be let's just set a goal. What I often do with them is let, let's just set a goal. Let's not look for the rest of your life, and let's not pretend that everything's fine. I'm just not going to drink anymore like, you know, forever, let's set a goal. And that's again, in the, in the AA format, that 12 step uh, notion, the 30, 60, 90 days, let's, let's take this in increments, but let's set goals. Goals are powerful. And they, they frame a time frame that gives us time to look at. And then like within that schedule it, what are you doing today? I break it down. What are you doing today? What are you doing today? What's your schedule? But when you took away drugs and alcohol from me, and I was not a kid when I came in, my, it all suddenly fell apart. And I didn't know how to do anything. And I panicked. And my, uh, my therapist said, you know, so what are you doing this weekend? I didn't know. I don't know. What do you do? And I had to, I had to schedule. I had to schedule what, what is tomorrow going to look like? What is the day going to look like? Something to do. Something to look forward to. Let's do this for 30. How about 30 days? Or how about well, time increments? And it's so wonderful when I hear a story like Kimberly, you're, the kids are back, the husband's back, I've got it back. But it doesn't happen overnight. And so you're right, Damon, that thought of at any cost, but let's frame it in such a way that we can get to someplace and that success and build on that success. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that you know, in early sobriety, there's so much thinking that goes into it. We can think ourselves right out of being sober, right? We could be, and, and, we, and when you talk with people who relapse, I was just having this conversation with people that had, you know, very significant sobriety. And, and the whole subject was people who were chron- chronic relapsers and their ability and our ability as alcoholics to talk ourselves out of things as fast as we could talk ourselves into things. And I think that there's a, if there was one major misconception about addiction is that, and and alcoholism in general is, you know, alcoholics, their problems start when they get sober. When you take away alcohol, that's when the problem starts. People that have addiction issues, you know, you take away the substance, their lives tend to get better for the most part. And some of those people just kind of forget about this all together and just go on with their lives. Right. But people who have hard addiction issues or alcoholism or drug addiction, the problems start when you take away the substance. Mm. Gabri. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Gabri. I just, I, I really like what was touched upon. Um, I definitely think, you know, what George said about, you know, setting those goals and setting like realistic goals, um, I just moved into my first place, like without like my parents. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of like the, oh my gosh, what do I do with all of this freedom? I have, you know, all the accountability is on me. 
Um, and so I actually have like this habit tracker that I, I really like, I really highly recommend. Um, it has, you know, daily habits, monthly habits and weekly habits. Um, but I don't strive for per perfection. Like, I think that's a big thing. Um, I strive for goals that I know that I can achieve and that are realistic for me to achieve. And so I also like, I feel very good when I like, you know, cross something off my list. Um, so I definitely really like, uh, what was said about the goals. So really writing those goals down, really have writing them down, right? Physically writing them down. Mm -hmm. I know I'm a big three by five card person and I always, George knows, I still to this day, I have three by five cards in my, yeah, there you go. In my pocket that I write down things when I when confused because the whole thing about alcoholism, con, alcoholic confusion um, of thinking, especially in early sobriety, I think is a very real thing. What would you say, Gabri, is the biggest do, the thing that you want to do the best, the thing that you want to do the most of, like the most important thing in, in your opinion that somebody should do in early sobriety to really kind of lock in and guarantee a, a, a great experience? That's a great question. I think um, a big thing is finding that that very fine line between taking accountability for past actions and forgiving yourself and letting go. Um, I think for each person, that's a, you know, personal journey. Um, and, but once I was able to, you know, look at my past self with compassion and be like, you know, okay, you know, this, I take accountability for this and this and this. However, you know, I'm focusing on the future. I'm focusing on what I can do as a sober person, all the people that I'm helping by, you know, doing stuff like this. Um, so I think, I guess the main thing is like really forgiving yourself. I was the hardest on me more than anybody else. I thought, you know, oh my gosh, my family's going to be so disappointed. My mom's going to be disappointed. I was the most disappointed in myself. And once I kind of learned to, you know, forgive myself and look at myself with compassion, I was really able to, to heal. So really cutting yourself a break really. Right. And allowing yeah. the process just to happen. Yeah. And just kind of like, I think there's so much pressure too in sobriety. Like I said before, you have to be perfect. It's like, you have to be perfect. You have to just be healthy all the time. Like, you know, give yourself a break. It's okay to have some off days. It's okay not to be perfect. You know, just surviving instead of thriving some days is enough. Um, so I think kind of cutting yourself some slack. And I think our perspective about whether it's going well is not always the best. We're not always the best critic of whether things are going yeah. well or not. Like I've had people tell me, it's like, oh, my life's not going great. I'm like, really? I saw you two months ago. Your life's going really well. It's yeah. just kind of a boring day. You know, it's not, it's not anything to write home about. So you just can't handle that because you've never had that experience, right? Kimberly, what, what would be your, what would be your big takeaway with a big thing, the big do, the thing that somebody should do to in early sobriety to, to, to help that process? Okay. So I wrote like a couple little things down, but they all fall within the same I wrote them down. So we'll stay on track here. Um, number one, I am a, a fitness and nutrition coach and I came across this during my sobriety journey because I needed something to help me take care of myself because myself was lost. Um, I did lose a hundred pounds in the process, but that wasn't the purpose of it. It just, it was a byproduct of me finally taking, respecting my body. Um, so to find a way to respect your body, it doesn't have to be with exercise and nutrition, although everybody should try to move 30 minutes a day, four to five, four to five times a week, whatever movement makes you happy. If it's riding a bike or taking a walk in nature, it doesn't have to be any certain heart rate or anything, just 
move. Um, and then fueling your body well. And I don't strive for perfection there either. Like Gabri said, like I eat some fruits and vegetables cause they're good for you. Don't deprive yourself of the Oreo cookie because then you're going to want to eat 10 of them instead of the one or two that you wanted in the first place. And take pride in that and that in this body that you are restoring back to the settings that the universe gave you, um, and be grateful for that. And it is as you are detoxing from whatever you're removing from your body, like Gabri said, you have to sort of mourn the loss of what you're losing, but pay respect to what you're gaining in the process. And you're gaining a new body and a new life and a new lease. And it's pretty amazing. So not only will respecting your body in a new way, help you to keep moving forward and have something to look forward to, like George said, but it will also give you a hobby, um, whatever you choose so that when you are stressed or anxious or sad or bored or whatever it is, whatever made you feel like you needed to turn to your drug or alcohol, you have something that's positively reinforcing your new life to turn to. Um, and then with the goals, like George was saying, and, and Gabri was reinforcing, I love having, um, with my, my clients that I work with, we work on 30 day and then six month and then one year goals. And I love doing that with myself with sobriety. I'll be hitting three years this November. And I feel like in the beginning, you should be setting 30 day goals and three month goals and six month goals and have a reward system for yourself. Make it fun. Like I'm super competitive, so I don't even really need a reward system because going back to zero on my tracker is like, no way I don't want to do that. So I'm super competitive with myself and I love seeing like 950 days. I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to get to a thousand. I'm so excited. Um, But I also love the idea of like buying yourself a new pair of sneakers. If you picked up walking or getting a manicure or a massage or, um, you know, when, when I get to this three month mark, it's going to be hitting right around my 15 year wedding anniversary and heck man, like take me on a trip three years sober. Like I I'm so excited to be able to celebrate these things. And then, um, the last thing that I wanted to hit that Damon said, I wrote this down and I'm actually working with a life coach right now who is teaching me a lot about contentedness versus happiness. And I'm always like, man, today, today sucks. And my life is awful and all this stuff. And she's like, what if you aren't meant to be like sublimely happy all the time? Life doesn't suck just because it's like a regular run of the mill day. Are you content? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And she's like, life's pretty good then. Most people aren't content. So being able to kind of step back and be like, yeah, like I'm not, I didn't win the lottery today and I didn't go to the beach today. And it wasn't like my kids weren't perfect today or whatever, but like, are all the pieces kind of falling together in the right way? Did I wake up this morning? So important. Did so I eat important. three round meals? Like, are my kids fed and bathed? Are we going to bed with our heads on a pillow? Oh my God. I have so much to clean up. Guess what? You have people that you love that you get to care for. Holy crap. There's so much laundry. This sucks so badly. You have a house and a washer and a dryer and clothes on your back. Like try to flip the script when things suck and and find that gratitude in it. Yeah, that's so, it's so important. And you know, what you're talking a lot about is self-care and I think self-care is fairly new in recovery. I mean, I don't remember them necessarily (laughs) focusing so much on self-care. They would say stuff like, you know, cut yourself a break. George is kind of laughing because self-care just wasn't really in the, in the topic when I first got sober, um, in that way. But I think it's so important, you know, so much, you know, and we're, we're not giving medical advice, but everybody knows it's common knowledge 
just e eating a well-balanced meal at the right times, not, you know, it used to be loading up on sugar. Sugar is not great for you, even though it could curb, you know, some sort of cravings. Ultimately, I think it brings us, I think we're finding it brings us possibly closer to relapsing in, in early sobriety. So all this self-care is, I think, so crucial now to actually having the best recovered life because just being recovered, just being sober and not enjoying yourself or moving in the direction that you feel that you should be going or a direction that's better for you kind of what's the point, right? It just you becomes dread. You redefine yourself. It's like, it's amazing. It's like you get to start your life all over again, pick up whatever new habits, like, and the resources are, there's so many free resources out there for exercise and eating well and, and free writing and whatever it is that you dreamed that you wanted to be good at. Like you get to pick this up and care about yourself and all that time and money that you spent on your drug of choice, you now get to invest in this new life that you get to have. And it's so exciting. Well, I know, you know, George, you talk about that reinvention, reinventing yourself in sobriety, finding that passion. What, what's some of the do's for you? What do you tell people who are in early sobriety that come to you that say, I really want to make this work. I don't want to relapse. I really want to have a great sobriety what are some of the things that you tell them? Well, and, and uh, a good, great question. And also just a, as an aside without, without uh, a criticism, they, you know, the, the founders of AA had, had wives who looked after them. So maybe, I don't mean that to be taken the wrong way, but, you know, thank God for Lois Wilson, who was cooking his meals and looking after him and making the beds. I'm just saying. So, I mean, I think there was a self-care that was assumed. And then the wife said, now enough, and they founded Al-Anon. But to get back to your question, and it's a good one. I mean, I think some, again, I've said threefold, got to get an ally or a friend, whatever you want to call it, an ally. You got to get a list, things that you're going to be doing. Track the day, track just today. What do we do today? Something to look forward to. A goal, uh, 30 days, let's just, let's just look at this week. Let's look at today. Let's get to, so those three. And then so many times people say, I, I know it's going to work out. I know it's going to be, and I, I always have to say, hey, let's stop because it already is. It's okay right now. And you can hear that, oh, yeah, I guess so. You know, we hear and so many of the people we know and love have the lives that the rest of the world would happily trade for. You know, we've got so much. And I think, yes, you can, you've got children to make a bed for. You've got children to wash clothes for. You know, you've got a, you've got a roof over your head. You've got food in the cupboards. I mean, I think to, to be here now, to coin a phrase, but to be present, to know that, you know, because the addictive mind wants to fix. Let's fix it. Let's fix it. They're going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then you're exhausted, right? And then you say, well, that didn't work, you know? Uh, to 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 pull back and say to be mindful, you know, because desire or aversion, it's both. It both comes. They got to fix it. Got to fix it. No, let's just. It's okay right now. They come to me and they say, "Now we can. What are we going to do? Who are who are our allies? What's a goal? I mean, there are things we can do, and we've talked about that stuff. But then to be mindful, to be to be in gratitude." 
as they say, right? But these are the things that keep us present, that keep us on track that we can move forward with, right? Absolutely. You know, I think so much of sobriety is about consciousness. It's about self-realization and it's about awareness. And a lot of the things that I talk about are all about getting into that awareness. And when we're in that awareness, we're sober, we're safe, everything's fine. When we get out of that awareness, that's when problems happen, right? And basically that's what we're talking about today. The, the don'ts are things that move you out of the awareness. The do's are the things that move you into the awareness. So, you know, my final thing to say here on this is this is so much great information here for any length of sobriety, honestly, that all of you have provided today. But anything that you're doing that is moving you out of that awareness that you have found when you first got sober is probably the wrong direction. That, that, that has been my, you know, that, that's my little closing thought here. But I'd like to thank everyone, Gabri, Kimberly, George, thank you so much. Gabri, where can they find out more about you? I know you have an amazing YouTube channel that talks all about uh, all about sobriety, early sobriety. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on YouTube. It's the Gen Z's declassified sobriety survival guide, even though it's for Gen Z, anybody could watch. Um, so you can find me on YouTube. Also my Instagram, I post a lot about, you know, my life, uh, being a sober young person and that's Gabriella Jello, um, on Instagram. So you can check me out there. Kimberly, you are, I always see Instagram posts of you doing daring things. Swinging from ropes was the last one. A zip, zip line. Was that what it's called? Something it crazy you were doing. Yeah. <laughs> running some marathon. How, how can people find out more about you? Um, on Instagram, you can find me at Kimberly.s.param. Super easy. Uh, P-A-R-H-A-M. And I share a lot about my, my weight loss journey, sobriety, um, being a mom, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and marriage restoration, spiritual journey, a lot of that stuff. So I'm on Facebook too, but most of everything I do is on Instagram. I have a link tree in my, um, in my bio, so you can get in touch with me and check out my website there as well. And, yeah, I, my, my goal is for everybody to live in a body that functions well. So that is an amazing goal. That That is an amazing goal. And George, no matter what size, exactly. That makes me feel even better because I just had (laughs) a couple extra meals last week, George, where can they find out more about you? I know you're all over recoveredlife.us. You're also on Instagram and always talking about your writing and different adventures in sobriety. How can they find out more about you? Well, you named them and they'll find us on you. You recovered life on YouTube and Instagram. And uh, uh, I'm at georgesnyder.org, O-R-G. And they'll find me there um, and here. Thank you guys so much. Early sobrieties, do's and don'ts. Guys, definitely a great reference episode. Thank you everybody so much Thank for joining you. us on the Recovered Life Show. Good to see you. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.